listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's message is a part of our sermon series, How Shall We Live? You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. Thank you so much for being in worship with us today. I want to let you know that on September 13th at 6 p.m., which is a Sunday, we're going to have a Vespers service, our first one out on the front lawn. We will have a limited number of people. We're going to practice social distancing, and everyone will be in masks. You know, if you don't feel comfortable, don't worry. We'll still have our virtual worship that Sunday morning, but we want to provide an opportunity that we could do it safely and gather for worship uh, together. I also want you to know that our adult small groups and adult discipleship ministry um, has launched a bunch of new groups, and you can go to www.roswellpress.org forward slash grow to sign up. A few of the options are Financial Peace University, there's a yoga class, there's a Life Keys class, there's going to be a book discussion group about racial reconciliation. They've got some great topics out in invite you to go check out. It's a great way to meet new people and learn about God's world and grow in your faith. Well, today we continue our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. How should you live? What does it mean? How does God set out a roadmap for us to flourish as individuals and as a community? The Ten Commandments have traditionally been used to teach ethics. How to live? How should you live? Two years ago, we looked at the Apostles' Creed, which answers the question, what should I believe? And last year, we studied the Lord's Prayer, which teaches us how to worship. But today, we're looking at the fourth commandment, which has to do with Sabbath and rest. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for bringing each of us here wherever we might be. We know that our lives are full of busyness and work running to and fro, taking care of errands. And oftentimes, Sabbath rest is a real challenge to find, and following this command can be very difficult. And so I pray that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, you might teach us about the importance of this command, and then you might show us how it can help us flourish as individuals and as a community as you intended for us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. God wants us to flourish in our lives, and the Ten Commandments show us how. The first command, you shall have no other gods before me. See, the one who gives or gives us the Ten Commandments not only liberated you from slavery, but created all that exists. And anything else that you try to worship will enslave you. If you worship power, you'll always be worried that someone more powerful than you will come along and take your power. If you worship beauty, you'll never feel pretty enough. If you worship education, you'll never feel smart enough. However, if you worship the liberating God, God will liberate you. God will set you free. You shall have no other gods before me, he says. The second command is, you shall not make for yourself an idol. I've heard it said that an idol is something you give meaning which it doesn't have, and you ask from it 
what it cannot give. In other words, let things be what they are. They're things. Don't worship them. And the third command is you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Or traditionally, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It literally means do not empty the Lord's name. As the Lord's prayer reminds us, hallowed be your name. We are called to honor and respect God's name and not empty it of its sacred meaning. And then we come to the fourth commandment. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are written down in two different places in the Old Testament? Yep, that's true. They can be found in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. And while they're essentially the same in meaning, there are a few differences that are really interesting. See, in Exodus, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses at Mount Sinai. The people have only been free from Egypt for several months, and so they receive the Ten Commandments there in the wilderness. And then 40 years later in Deuteronomy, as they stand on the precipice of entering the promised land, God gives them the Ten Commandments again. You see, God has to communicate the commands for a new context. They're no longer a nomadic, wandering people. They're about to have land and to enter into the promised land. So God has a word for them. So let us listen for the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After reading the fourth commandment, the first question I asked is, compared to the other commands, why is this one so long? (laughs) Well, listen to this. There is no evidence of any other ancient Near Eastern society practicing a Sabbath. Zero. No evidence. No one had a day off. The Sabbath was so outside of the norm, the Israelites had to be persuaded to practically, um, actually practice it. It needed an explanation. And over the years, we find the Israelites struggling to follow the Sabbath command. It's for some of the same reasons we struggle with it. For instance, in the 8th century BC, the prophet Amos tells us that traders are anxious for the Sabbath to end so they can get back to trading, so they they can get back to their businesses. By the time of Nehemiah in the 5th century BC, people in Judah are treading wine presses, he says, and holding markets on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a challenge to obey. It gets in the way of business. Do you find this command challenging? Do you find it difficult to take a day off, to take a Sabbath? I think many of us almost feel justified, maybe even a little prideful, if we are so busy that we can't take a day off. We're always working. This Sabbath 
command is a challenge to follow. And sometimes I think we're even a little prideful that we can't follow it. I mean, it's interesting because if you break, let's say, thou shalt not murder, everybody pretty much agrees that was not a good thing to do. But if you break the fourth commandment, people are like, look how industrious he is. Such a hard worker. He must be very important to have so much going on in his life. But the fourth commandment says one out of every seven days, we need a Sabbath. We need a Sabbath. Sabbath comes from a root word that literally means to cease or to stop. Why should we periodically cease from our labors? The Ten Commandments gives us two different reasons. Remember that I told you there are two different versions of the Ten Commandments, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy? Well, in the Fourth Commandment, there are different reasons for why you should keep the Sabbath. See, in the Exodus version, the command gives a creator's reason. Exodus 20, verses 10 through 11 reads, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. We are to rest and take a Sabbath from our work because God rested from his work. Remember, the first of the two accounts of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, God goes to create everything that exists, and he does it on a schedule. He does it one day at a time. On the first day, God creates the sun and the moon. God creates the land and the sea. God creates plants and animals. On the sixth day, God creates humans. And on the seventh day, God stops to rest. And he looks on all he's created. And God enjoys it. He says, it's good. It's very good. There is a holy rhythm to this approach to life. Create, 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 create. Now rest and enjoy your creation. The fourth command calls us to rest on the seventh day. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest and enjoy your creation. Create for six days, but then step back just like God did and enjoy your creation. It's a holy rhythm to life. Six days you shall work. And on the seventh, you shall rest and enjoy the fruits of your labors. Rest and enjoyment are the culmination of creation and of our work. If you aren't making space to enjoy life, then you're missing the point of it. Abraham Joshua Heschel, an important 20th century Jewish scholar and civil rights activist, wrote a powerful book on the Sabbath titled, surprisingly, The Sabbath. In it, he writes... The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It is not an interlude, but the climax of living. Labor is a craft, but perfect rest is an art. It is the result of an accord of body, mind, and imagination. The seventh day is a palace in time that we build. It is made of soul, of joy, and reticence. In its atmosphere, a discipline is a reminder of adjacency to eternity. What a phrase, adjacency to eternity. Heschel says that the Sabbath helps us build what he calls a palace in time so that we can remember our adjacency to eternity. I love that. Stopping, 
resting and enjoying helps us remember that we are soulful creatures. We have been made for more than just work because we bear the image of God. And just as God rested on the seventh day, so too we are called to rest and take a Sabbath. But how easy is it to forget this fact in their pursuit of pleasing God and not doing the wrong thing, the Israelites overcompensated. There was always a debate what counted as work and what was rest. In fact, they tried to not do the wrong things so badly that they couldn't do anything. Did you know that at the time of Jesus, there were 1,521 things you could not do on the Sabbath? 1,521. Even today, under Orthodox Jewish law, there are 39 categories of things you cannot do on the Sabbath. Here's just a few. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, cooking, washing, knotting, untying, shaping, kneading, combing, sorry about your hair, slaughtering, skinning, smoothing, marking, it goes on. There's a lot of stuff you can't do. There was often arguments in the first century about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. In fact, in Jesus' trial, when he's brought before the Sanhedrin, before he's taken to Pilate, one of the charges against him is that he broke the Sabbath by healing on the Sabbath. He said, you can't even heal on the Sabbath. Jesus always seemed to be getting into trouble for what he was doing on the Sabbath. In fact, in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, we read a story of Jesus walking with his disciples on the Sabbath, and they happen to pluck some heads of grain. The Pharisees see them do this, and they ask Jesus, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And then Jesus steps back and reminds them of the time King David in the Old Testament entered the tabernacle and actually ate the bread of presence, which was only there for the priests to eat. And then Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. All of us are going to count rest and work differently, but you work six days and one day you rest. You see, Jesus interprets the law for us and shows us how it is meant for our benefit. It's meant to bless us. It's meant to help us flourish. And we need to be reminded to feed our souls. We are human beings, not human doings. We do a lot of stuff and we need to settle our hearts and our souls one day a week and be a human being and just be. Create for six days, but rest and enjoy your creation on the seventh. There's a creational reason we are called to rest and enjoy life, but there's another reason too. You see, in Exodus, Moses had just met with God at Mount Sinai and brought the Ten Commandments down to the people. But in Deuteronomy 5, Moses stands with the Israelites on the edge of the promised land and he restates the commandments. Notice who should practice Sabbath. It reads from Deuteronomy, You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. In other words, everyone 
gets a Sabbath. Everyone gets a day off. Young and old, men and women, strangers and aliens who live in your land, and even in your slaves. No other ancient society in the ancient Near East practiced Sabbath. But the Israelites are called to give even their slaves a day off. And God gives this command and makes it universal to prevent us from dehumanizing other human beings. Yeah, these people who serve you, guess what? They are people too. They need a day off. I have heard it said that the Sabbath is perhaps the greatest social revolution in the history of humankind. The greatest social revolution. Gave a Sabbath, a day off. Remember the reasoning that God gives in Deuteronomy for why they should practice Sabbath? Listen to this. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See, saying, you've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You've come a long way. You're on the, the edge of owning and settling down. But don't you dare forget that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. You know how it feels to work your body to the bone. And that will not be tolerated by the people of God. You were once slaves. And you know how it feels. Make sure your workers, even your lowliest workers, get a day off. You are not a slave. You are a child of God. I recently finished reading David Blight's biography, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 2018, and it is an incredible book about a fascinating man. Fred Bailey, as he was known before he escaped from slavery and went to the North, was born into, into slavery in Maryland. It was a brutal existence. He never knew when he would be beat, didn't know who his father was, never discovered when his birthday occurred. He was completely uneducated. And then at some point as a boy, he received a, a book of famous speeches and a Bible, and some of the people in his community took him under their wings and tried to help him to learn to read. And did he learn? <laughs> in a thrilling story that I don't have time this morning, Douglas eventually escapes from slavery and goes to the north. And he begins to continue to develop his public speaking and writing skills. And he becomes the most famous black man of the 19th century. Hundreds of thousands of people around the country and around the world heard him speak. He wrote three best-selling autobiographies. And in these three accounts of his life, he tells and looks back at his life and tells people about his experiences. And one of them, Douglas begins to think back about when he was a slave. And on a particular, what he calls Sabbath day, he remembers seeing ships sail across the waters of the Chesapeake Bay. And I want to read directly from Douglas's words, which Blight calls the most excellent in all of slave narratives. Listen to Douglas looking back on his life in captivity. Our house stood within a few rods of the Chesapeake Bay, whose broad bosom was ever white with sails from every quarter of the habitable globe. Those beautiful vessels, robed in purest white, so delightful to the eye of freedmen, 
were to me so many shrouded ghosts to terrify and torment me with thoughts of my wretched condition. I have often in the deep stillness of a summer's Sabbath stood all alone upon the lofty banks of that noble bay and traced with saddened heart and tearful eye the countless number of sails moving off to the mighty ocean. The sight of these always affected me powerfully. My thoughts would compel utterance, and there with no audience but the Almighty, I would pour out my soul's complaint in my rude way with an apostrophe to the moving multitude of ships. See, Douglas is looking back, thinking about his time in bondage, and he's thinking of those ships and how they tore, terrify and torment him. And he thinks about his, what he calls his wretched condition in slavery. And he's haunted by those free ships. They remind him he's a slave. And I find it totally appropriate that he realizes this on a Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is there to remind you that you are not a slave. You are a human being created in the image of God. And Douglas experiences that Sabbath and every Sabbath after that to remind him of his station in life, what he was created for. And it inspires him to seek his freedom. And for the rest of his life, the Sabbath would stand as a signpost that you are not a slave, you are free. And he would tour around the world reminding people of that fact. No one should ever be subjected to slavery. Friends, you may not be in physical slavery, but you can still be in spiritual slavery. Many of us during this time are so caught up with working, we often forget to take a Sabbath. You keep saying, oh, oh, I'll do it later. Well, if later is more than six days away, it's too long. The Sabbath reminds us that you are not a slave. You are created in the image of God and meant to be free. Your practical Sabbath might mean you turn off your electronics for the day. You might read a book you've been too busy to get to. You may go spend an afternoon in your garden. You may watch a movie with your family. What brings you rest and enjoyment? How do you enjoy creation? Do that. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest and enjoy creation. Friends, remember, you were created not just for work, but for rest. You are not a slave. You are free. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you created us to be free. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to have a vocation and to work for six days. But Lord, on the seventh day, help us remember, help us to have the courage, the self-discipline to rest and enjoy our lives and creation. We thank you that you led the way in creating the world and resting. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.